So to my viewers, I want to uh, uh, welcome you to my next episode. Uh, today, my guest is uh, Professor Vaidyanathan. He's a very, very well-known finance and eco economics person in, in, in India. Uh, he has had a distinguished career as a pr professor at uh, uh, IIM Bangalore. I have spoken in his class and uh, met him many times, interviewed him. We've been friends, colleagues and known each other for a very long time. Uh, we are presently involved in putting a book together jointly on uh, what are the various uh, catastrophes, scenarios and what are the various problems that might happen in India which people need to wake up and notice because I think we very quickly get complacent. Every time we win a cricket match, we think that you know, every, no more problems left. So uh, life is more than just you know, pageantry and cricket and pop culture. There are serious things happening. And so I'm delighted to honor you uh, and, and welcome you back, uh, Professor Vadyanathan, to my, to my show. Uh, and uh, I, I, I'm uh, hoping we will talk about a number of issues, serious issues facing the economy. Welcome, Professor Vadyanathan. Thank you, Rajiv. It's always a, a great pleasure to interact with you. I think uh, it goes back to roughly maybe 15-20 uh, years. And, uh, yes, yes. Again, yes. I am very delighted to uh, listen to your views and uh, uh, read your articles. And uh, you have always been uh, what I would rather call a uh, inspiring guru for most well, of I, us. Thank you very I think, much. Uh, yeah, I think you've been uh, you've been a you've actually opened my eyes and given me a lot of uh, lot to think about because your understanding of the Indian civilization and how it how the ancient links with the modern is something you have done very well and your studies on jati and and so microeconomics and so on uh, the is absolutely fantastic and path breaking and i'm honored to to collaborate with you so i wanted to start our conversation by uh, discussing the global situation because everybody reads in the newspaper you know there is this bomb attack and then this china is putting this guy uh, leading in some race against the west you know and then there is this Western stuff going on and all. So I, I thought that it would be a good way to start uh, before we come on India uh, we, to get your perspective on what do you think is happening in the global economy? What are the mega trends and changes uh, with, uh, with Europe, with, with America, with China and so on? So could you give your perspective please? Uh, <clears throat> you see essentially what is happening is uh, very quickly in uh, 1990, G7 used to have roughly 50-51% of the global income, global GDP, what we call in economics, gross domestic product, adjusted for purchasing power parity. These are IMF figures yeah. in 1990, which is not very far in the sense last, say, 25 years. And around 1915, the G7 has got only 35%. In 1990, the emerging economies, which are primarily India, China, Brazil and Indonesia, plus other countries, they had something like 35%. Uh, in 2015-16, they are having something like 51%. And the forecast suggests that uh, G7 will uh, be having something like 25% in another 4-5 years, which means the remaining will be 75%. So this is the crux of the issue, what one can loosely call the decline of the West, which started in 1820 
because of uh, colonialism as well as industrial revolution. I think uh, a 200-year cycle is coming to an end in 2020, from 1820 to 2020. The famous study of Angus Madison suggests till 1820, India and China were having more than 50% of the global GDP every century. And actually, he puts it very nicely. These are not emerging markets. These are re-emerging markets. They are re retrieving where they were. So it's a it's strictly an Anglo-Saxon crisis. It's not a global crisis. That's one dimension of the problem. So can I can I just ask a clarification here? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but in the G7, we include Japan, but that is not uh, Anglo-Saxon. No, Japan issue is separate. We will come to that actually. Okay. 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 Now G7 has become G20. That's something very interesting. They don't talk about G7 anymore. And say, uh, put it, when you are in crisis, you increase the size of the group because the per capita suffering will come down, right? So they have included India, you know, China, uh, Brazil, everybody into G7. But that's not a, you know, that's not uh, still a cohesive group because still the main dining table G7 is only sitting. Our Indian Prime Minister and others are given a stool and asked to sit in the side, primarily. And so what happened is, if you look at the history of last 2000 years, the declining powers are more dangerous. Extremely, okay. Because they don't want to leave their seat. Nobody is going to leave their seat just like that. So they would look around and try to get uh, opportunities, methods. And unfortunately, we have not internalized this fact that the decline of G7 is more or less uh, uh, what one can call final. That is one dimension of the issue. Other dimension is there is a civil war raging in Europe and I think it will spread to US also. The civil war is essentially against uh, not Christianity and Islam. That's only a sideshow. Primary show is Islam and what is called quote-unquote modernism. Islam hates modernism. Modernism in the sense of uh, you know, acceptance of premarital sex, acceptance of family planning, acceptance of homosexuality, acceptance of, you know, uh, various, uh, uh, what one can call heretic things. Now, in pure form, Christianity is also against all these things. But Christianity is not, uh, you know, in a position to wage a war. It is, uh, you know, trying to have more number of uh, uh, followers in Africa and other places. But Islam is extremely angry about it. And the treatment of women, modernism is also. So it wants to establish in clear terms a caliphate in Europe. They have not, they are not uh, having any uh, two views on that. They have expressed it in various ways that we should have. And recently Turkish uh, PM has also mentioned that uh, Turks have to play a very important role in uh, civilizing the quote-unquote, civilizing the Europe. So they are, you know, having, so this is one type of a uh, conflict which is uh, taking place, which will sap the uh, energy of Europe. The economy of Europe will get further. Yeah, so affected. I want to hear, here ask you a question regarding Islam, regarding Islam. Now, the uh, Islam's fight is also with India, because uh, India, the two big, fights they had 
One was this Ottoman Empire, Turkey is the inheritor of that, yeah. which was a fight against uh, Europe and the other was the Mughal Empire, which was a fight against uh, India. Now, both of them got defeated, but uh, the Muslims want to reclaim it back. So, I think that it is not only a fight against Western modernity, it is a fight against all the infidels and heathens of the world. The biggest opportunity happens to be these two, because you see Europe is right in their proximity and they have a large amount of immigrants in certain countries and that's a good, uh, those are sleeper cells. They also feel that the population of Islam is more, you know, if you look at the world population of Islam, Pakistan, then India, then Bangladesh, then Indonesia, these are the majority of the whole Muslim world population wise. So, they, the people who are dreaming the Caliphate and Darul Islam and all that, they are thinking of this as a front also. So, we should not feel that India is safe while Europe is uh, vulnerable. My feeling is that while Europe is vulnerable, your USA, USA may be not as vulnerable as, as we think because there is also a very strong anti-Islamic move here that is not going to sort of take it. There is both sides, but the anti-Islamic people are not, are going to sort of hit back. And America has a history of uh, kind of vicious, brutal warfare when it required. So, uh, you know, if there is one country that may drop a nuclear bomb on, uh, you know, some uh, Arab country, <laughs> if, if there were, if there were a 9-11 with some kind of a dirty bomb, it is not unrealistic that the US may drop a nuclear bomb on those guys. It may happen. It, 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 is, not an unreason, uh, it is not a scenario you can completely eliminate. While I don't think the Europeans will do that. I mean, the Europeans probably will talk and blah, blah, you know, like they'll be a little mixed up. Maybe some guy in France or some uh, person, you know, right-wing guy will come up somewhere and do it. But I think that uh, uh, before you will say that, okay, the front line of Islam is Europe and then next comes America, I think you should have to think about India also as a front line that Islam is uh, fighting. And you see a lot of these rabid Muslims in India also, they are talking the same kind of stuff. I would say the only place that has actually taken aggressive action against Islam proactively is China. I mean, China has taken some bold actions. They banned some things. I was told they banned the name Muhammad you can't have, you know, and things of that sort. So, uh, others are sort of wanting to fake a, a democracy or a fake an intellectual freedom and freedom of religion and thought and all that. China has got no problems with that. They are saying if it doesn't, if it doesn't suit us, we are going to get rid of you. So, what do you think of the Islam war? vis-a-vis Europe, vis-a-vis USA, vis-a-vis India, vis-a-vis China, because you have to look at all of that. No, from the Islam point of view, Europe is a low-hanging fruit. Yes. For the simple reason, last, you know, something like 40 years, Europe has moved away from Christianity, one. Yes. They are not anchored in Christianity much. And they have also become more what you may call liberal and left, which unfortunately is totally identified with uh, radical Islam today. Leftist, more radical Islam, after the fall of the Berlin Wall and other things, the European left is, you know, and much of the Europe has lost the will to fight. In US still, there is a huge group of people who have the will to fight, who want to fight. But unfortunately, Europe has, uh, you know, totally sapped of its energy to fight. So, from that point of view, for Islam, Europe is a low-hanging fruit. And it will yes. sap the economic condition of the Europe. Europe has to spend. See, today, uh, as one of my friends in uh, France or uh, Paris was telling, he has to always look behind his back when he goes to a supermarket or 
when he visits a music hall or when he goes to a pub i lightheartedly asked him whether left side of the shoulder or right side of the shoulder <laughs> he said professor don't joke because the situation is really really you find you know he says he has never seen armed policemen in museums in parks in you know public places in many of the cities of europe europe is already in a civil war whether one likes it or not and there is something like uh, 10000 every day is entering and another 1 million is waiting outside so europe is the main battleground and i am reasonably certain in the next 3 to 5 year us has to send its troops to europe there is no other way and countries like india also will be asked to send to europe i do yeah, not know it, what it, uh, it, it could either be it could either i think it will happen the, the war with islam will have to escalate from the us uh, but there there are there is a scenario which says uh, go send the troops to europe and there is another scenario which says join israel and send the troops to the middle east because that also is a possible scenario is to kind of be more aggressive where the the ground of the whole battle is where the headquarters of the whole battle is which is the middle east and this business of iran and uh, you know put, uh, getting getting sunnis against shiites that that trump is trying to play that game when he went to saudi arabia he is trying to con- uh, bring a combination of uh, sunnis to fight shias because the idea being uh, the strategy being get muslims to fight muslims you know sort of whatever the whatever it takes and keep them busy fighting you supply weapons to them and they fight destroy each other so i think another player in this war against islam that we have to also discuss is israel i think israel is a very important player in this war against islam because as long as there is israel there the war cannot be totally exported the war has to remain in their home home countries because of the physical existence of israel yes that is true but uh, you know if you go back in history almost all the conflicts in the last 2000 years were centered in europe actually even though much of the problem is arising out of the middle east but they were all shifted to europe whether it is a 100 years war or whether it is second first world war second all the wars actually because europe is in a you know what what you may loosely call on a you know powder keg today right it's it's uh, last its moorings and it's uh, having tremendous amount of economic crisis and uh, unemployment rate is phenomenally high in europe and the states uh, northern europe states are not able to sustain their you know the social security and other thing and greece is one example only of how much of the suffering uh, us has to land its troop in europe to so, defend so do you feel that since we are discussing europe's economic problems do you feel that it is is caused by islam or do you feel that it is also caused because europeans are not uh, uh, competitive on the world stage with lower cost manufacturing from china that because of they lost their colonies that's another scenario that they lost their colonies of cheap labor yeah. and they they are not uh, they were they are not able to do the cheap labor work in the colonies anymore and they are not able to compete compete against usa japan and now china the, besides islam is that also a problem for the demise of europe you are correct if you look back actually the country which did not have many colonies is germany yes in europe spain portugal uk france everybody belgium everybody had right. colonies 
the country right. which did not have colony is the only country which is sort of sustaining itself on a high level compared right. to others so right. loss of colonies one second is very important is europe has lost completely its uh, uh, family system that is another major thing yes. and uh, demographically it is declining you see in 1920 first world war time you will be surprised actually every second uh, sorry every fourth uh, citizen of the world was a european europe had 25% of the global population in first world war time and today it has got hardly 10% and it is expected to become 2% most <laughs> of the european countries northern europe particularly the reproductive rate is less than 1 actually and mental thought one yeah. way to solve the issue is to bring these people yeah that is also in terms of particularly what you call brown collar work you know sure, the work that... which doesn't require too much sophistication right right and uh, rajiv will be very surprised to hear in 2001 there was a move by then uh, chancellor of uh, germany to bring lot of indians to germany by giving green cards it was in 2001 if i remember it was uh, brand he was the chancellor there was such a un cry by the bavarian group the christian democratic union by joseph strauss that uh, inder cannot come and replace our kinder that was the slogan in 2001 they prevented the whole <laughs> scheme to deny indians access to uh, germany green card and now they have got all these pakistanis syrians and uh, you know moroccans <laughs> who who can who, who indians at least would have gone and did their work properly in information technology and uh, kept at home that's all but these right. people are so europe demographically is shrinking and uh, family is also getting affected both in europe and in us actually out of for instance 40% of the births in some of the countries are out of wedlock it's a huge crisis actually single parent family they call it yeah but but it's also the the birth problem is also there in russia phenomenal russia yeah. as well as japan yeah i'll give you one unbelievable statistic if today 100 russians are there in 2020 hardly four years so three years down the road there will be only 85 russians russia is declining demographically very severely and putin is shouting every time actually that uh, we are shrinking japan is also shrinking every census of japan they announce so many million people are less and japan has got additional problem to some extent russia japan doesn't want migrants Japan doesn't allow encourage migrants at all into the island, and uh, they are not having. And Japanese girls are not getting married any time sooner. Yeah, so but the, even uh, even Russia does not want uh, a large number of immigrants. Correct. Same thing. <coughs> Russia doesn't want. China doesn't want. <coughs> Japan doesn't want. So these right. are the you know um, type of uh, issues which are facing us. and unfortunately i think uh, we are not adequately geared to look at these issues on a global perspective you see the the, the thing is that uh, uh, the previous government the previous government in india was ideologically misinformed and ideologically not interested in uh, uh, bharatiya civilization they were not interested in that 
the new government theoretically are interested but i do not know if they have the machinery the intellectual um, leadership i don't know if they have studied the kurukshetra properly i don't know if, if they are just looking for quick solutions i don't know if they are complacent and taking it for granted that uh, you know everything will be fine uh, i mean i'm not sh- i don't see robust long term solid professional investments coming from the government that are about the civilization i go around four times a year to india i go around meeting everybody i can all the appointments i'm able to get i i see a lot of nice talk but i think that when it comes to action it's on their peripheral vision it is not something that there is a big thrust that says we got to solidify the the mother culture the the foundation in order to be able to do all these things there is no training program that says when foreign people come we are going to train give them training on our culture and our sense and, and there is no training of indian journalists even even indian media even indian foreign service i don't think they that the indian government has really decided that this is a strategic area correct i agree with you see you have put in effort from 90s something like 25 more than yes. that right yes yes but you do you do find a slightly you know improvement or a change yes yes, yes i do not necessarily at the government level but at the society yes. level yes you have, you have sort of millions of people youngsters yes. yes who feel that what you are telling is correct and this is the correct. direction i think that is how the society will move maybe you know we require you know in a in a in a in a fashion i would say we require you know something like 1000 rajiv malhotras floating around the country it might happen not today maybe over a period of time what i want to say is is ours is a very very uh, i shouldn't use that word too strong a word slothful society yes more than that slothful government yes actually you see the difference sir, rajiv in europe government is organized society is disorganized in india society is organized government is disorganized so you have the work of people like you are moving you know in a direction the society and this is what slowly will impact the government i'm very sure today it is not you know having any clue how to go about because the bureaucracy the judicial system the entire you know you know uh, paraphernalia is uh, traditional you discuss with them so much about our indian culture indian rootedness he will call one deputy secretary and he will call his assistant and he will call his head clerk and he will think yeah very good very important sir civilization uh, is very important yeah, yeah. <laughs> right kal dekhenge so and then he he invite you he will invite you to he will invite you to his house for lunch uh, he will give you all the symbolic courtesies all the things. all, all the and symbolic courtesies see, you know kal dekhenge you are ah, you are taking yeah. very good points sir excellent point and uh, this to be ah. right so my point is slowly you know some uh, movement is there yeah some yeah. development is there yeah. maybe you have to wait you are you are far ahead of your time but still you know you have you have done a remarkable job in terms of creating a what i may loosely call a uh, uh, environment or a you know ecosystem uh, yeah. which is uh, putting pressure at various places today people are right. questioning Yeah. Which would have happened in the nineties, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, Sorry. so, so, what? Now, my my question is, uh, why did India's GDP fall? After all, we thought 
you know, new government has come. They are putting so much into investments and growth. And for a while, it seems the GDP went up. And then there is demonetization. So we thought now it will actually help the economy. But why did the GDP fall, in your opinion, in India? GDP, you know, if you ask me, actually, uh, the fourth quarter it has fallen. It's not annual, right? We are still, you know, above 7% in that range. And there will be fluctuations. The demonetization did have an impact on the fourth quarter results because of the impact it has created on what you may loosely call the uh, small business, an informal and unorganized groups and other things who constitute roughly 50-55% of the economy. I would uh, say that our economy is still robust and uh, still very, very uh, active. The thing is, a uh, lot of uh, expectation is uh, regarding the government, which I think is not uh, called for actually. If you ask me, our economy is growing in spite of the government, not due to the government. The lesser the government, as the famous old saying of Regan, you might remember, the seven famous words, you know, government is not a solution, government is a problem. So, the lesser the government, it would be actually more appropriate and better, right? That so, is not happening, actually. So, One. why... Second is... Yeah, please continue. Second is... Uh, there are certain very good, uh, well-intentioned suggestions which were taken up initially. For instance, this uh, creation of a Mudra Act in order to facilitate these uh, uh, small and uh, medium-sized businesses, which are the engines of our economic growth. And uh, that has not come through. There is a huge amount of uh, turf war going between uh, what you might loosely call the, uh, you know, RBI, Finance Ministry. So, would uh, not... Uh, you know, immediately conclude our economy is not doing well or anything. It is doing well, actually. And one thing is we are much, much more transparent than China. Kindly remember, China's numbers are not easily reliable. Every 15 years, like every communist regime, they revise their uh, old slogans. You know, they say that 1 million were killed and then 10 million were killed like that. Their GDP numbers are not uh, very reliable. And their banking system is in very bad shape. So, as a complete uh, country, it is doing well, relatively, but uh, not as well as being projected by the uh, media. Yeah. So, so uh, what about this promise of bringing all the black money back from tax havens? Has that happened? I mean, I don't think it has happened. There was talk about so many yeah. lakh crores so, and all that was overseas and I all these guys will be... I why didn't they do that? Money. Yeah, I shouldn't be doing this, but uh, my book is coming next month on black money and tax events. It is okay. getting released by uh, Westland, Tata Westland, same publisher. Okay. Now they have taken over by Amazon. So yes. I would uh, suggest uh, all the uh, you know uh, followers of our this uh, YouTube, they must buy the book. They need not read yes. it, but at least they should buy the book. No, I, I would like to. I would like to make an appeal to my followers. You should uh, buy the book and read it and discuss it and talk about okay. it. And right. and you, no. you let me know. Let me know I'm, when it comes out. We'll do some interviews again on your book. Yeah, it's a huge amount of uh, funds are still abroad, and let us be very clear. We have not taken any serious uh, uh, steps in terms of uh, bringing it back. The amount is uh, any you know estimatedly between. Uh, around 1 trillion 
US dollar. We can put it like that. And everyone is involved in this business people, political leaders, sports people, uh, you know, <clears throat> music people. You name one elite group in India, they are involved in that. So, in that sense, there is a sort of a radio silence among all. You know, who would like to uh, bell the cat? That's something, you know. But I am sure the funds would come because of two reasons. India is now much more attractive destination compared to many other places where, you know, you get in Europe or other places something like, you know, 2%, 2.5% another. India, if you just keep money in the fixed deposit, you get 6.5-7%. You don't have to do anything. So, as a destination, it is very attractive and uh, reasonably stable now. Unlike the Nehru time and after Nehru what? Today there is, yeah. you know, much more stable and our uh, country can be. The reason is tax evasion in India is uh, no confidence against the government. But illicit money kept abroad is uh, no confidence against India itself. It's a treason, according to me. Right. But now the confidence in India is slightly improving. As you always point out, why it is improving? Because... The Europeans and Americans are telling that India is doing well. See, Indians right. will never realize that we are doing well. It has to be told by a white man. If Wall right. Street Journal says that Bangalore is growing, I believe that. I sit in Bangalore, but that is immaterial. It has to be told by Wall Street Journal. So, the white man is today telling India is one of the good destination and opportunity. And so, not only the funds, no, one important point, we have huge amount of pearls, gems, rubies, diamonds, and the various type of murtis, you know, the idols, which are also in the lockers of several uh, of these uh, tax haven banks, including Switzerland. I think that also has to be looked at. It's a huge, huge amount of funds. One is the bonds and the shares and investments and other things. Other is this. This is not adequately being talked about. Because many so, a time our old uh, princes and the feudal lords and the Maharajas, they have all deposited there in the international, uh, you know, uh, tax service. So uh, the the, yeah. the when you when you say there is money that should come back, uh, one of the ways this money comes back is as FDI. It gets laundered through Mauritius. Uh, it gets long. So, this illegal money goes abroad and some of it, when it, they want to bring it back, they clean it up as legal money and bring it back through some uh, some laundering services which clean it up. Like yeah, Mauritius. Notes is a famous thing. PM notes. Everybody recognizes that it is the way in which the our own money comes back to us. And yeah. we are very happy that, you know, so much foreign money. Is, it's not foreign money. It is our yeah. local so, money. So, even though FDI, FDI is not a honest barometer of foreign investment, it's actually a measure of dirty money going out and becoming cleaned and come back yes, in, coming back. Yes, yes. We, it's, not, uh, it's not an average uh, European who invests in all these things. There are correct. a lot of post -box, uh, companies in Lagerberg and uh, you know, in Cannon Island and other, through which the funds are rooted and it comes back to us and we are very delighted that, you know. Our own money has come back to us. Right, 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 right. But the proportion which is coming back is relatively small. That is the so important do, issue. So, do you feel that the rich, super rich Indian billionaires that we praise and we defy them like they are gods and all that, we are, they are our heroes, they are the symbol of our success. Do you think that they really deserve that? 
because I'm not sure that they are really Desh Bhakts who are really helping the nation or if they are robber barons who've exploited, stolen and take the money off somewhere else. What do you think of that? What do you think of the, the, the glorification of Indians who are made money by other Indians? Do you think that's the right thing to do? No, I think we have to distinguish to some extent uh, the, you know, the, the class of what you may loosely call the capitalist. It's not that all of them are, you know, you know, meant to loot the country. And many of them are actually rooted to the soil. Many of them are actually doing a lot of charity work. Many of them have constructed temples and, you know, they might not have paid taxes. That is a separate issue domestically. But uh, they are uh, involved. For instance, I know some business groups which are in Ekal Vidyalaya, you know, they have started something like 45, 50,000 single teacher schools in the tribal areas in Madhya Pradesh, Chhattisgarh, Jharkhand and other. So there are business uh, groups. I'm again not talking about their paying taxes and they following government rules. That's a separate issue. I'm more talking about their interest in the uh, society and uh, uh, our dharmic culture and uh, that is there. But of course, there are some groups which are, you know, uh, not uh, very enthusiastic about uh, and uh, who accumulate and who want to keep some funds abroad. And, and that is mostly the what you may loosely call the commission agent type of business people. No, but if you look at if you, purchase, you know. but if you look at the mainstream media, uh, the mainstream media is thoroughly unpatriotic and very uh, anti-Indian uh, culture. And they are big billionaire type people, some of these guys, and they are, they are industrialists who also need media. Media gives them some kind of leverage over politicians because they can make or break a politician's image. And so right. in exchange, they can get protection from their own corruption. So this nexus of government, media, corruption, uh, I mean, this is a sort of a, a front for uh, industrialists who are not really honest people. What do you think of that? You are, you are absolutely correct about it. Much of our media is, you know, particularly the what you may loosely call the mainstream media as it is yes. known as. Yes. It is spin and skin, that's all. Yeah. As much skin as possible you show in right. order to sell your product and spin right. the stories. And many of them are sponsored items and, you know, not. But one good development has taken place and you also have to some extent contributed to that in terms of the social media. Right. Some which has come, which is... Uh, which is not easily amenable to all the type of these uh, and many a time this mainstream media is getting exposed also and right. there is a good amount of uh, you know business people who are fly by night operators and other things right who are right, right. but the slowly you know but surely there is a uh, stress on probity in public life i think i would uh, definitely appreciate our current pm whatever uh, people are criticizing and other things he is trying to establish some amount of probity in public life hmm. in terms of, you know, uh, for instance, he is not uh, taking a lot of uh, these, uh, these uh, media people along with him. He is not creating a coterie, you know, whatever be the criticism, he is trying to, you know, create a culture of, uh, you know, what probity. I think that is yeah. very, very, I am not telling that everything is honky-dory, but the right. attempt to create a culture of probity, I think, is very important. And right. there, I think your point is very valid. Yeah. So, what do you, but we didn't complete the discussion on demonetization. What do you think has been the impact of demonetization? What, did it work? See, I mean, what, 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 what the final what, numbers have not been released. 
the reserve bank says it is still counting i can't believe i can't believe <laughs> counting is a very you know very simple procedure in indian banks at least right anyhow yeah. there are still one one or two benefits which are well recognized is one is the kashmir jihadis these uh, you know this radical islam groups in kashmir their funds have got dried up post demonetization there because you can't give the old notes in order to carry out stone pelting or to do the you know jihadi work because there is a well well it insurance which is taking place if you go and attack somebody and if you get killed your family will be paid so many lakhs or another now that has got and that is why they are looting banks this looting banks was not taking place earlier now they are significantly looting the banks that is one second is the women trafficking has also got reduced there is a huge amount of trafficking used to take place from eastern part of india and uh, you know the, uh, the, uh, the west bengal and uh, northeast and other thing to other parts of india this uh, trafficking is common and that is cash based so that has also come down the third is political corruption to some extent used to involve only larger denomination currency because of the carrying cost if you see the tamil nadu or andhra pradesh election time most of the currency captured is uh, of uh, 1000 and uh, 500 rupee notes because carrying 10 rupee note is not easy you know you have to carry in several vans and other thing so to that extent it has come down the last but not least is as a what you may loosely call the collateral benefit is slightly more number of people are using this uh, uh, digital economy now in terms of credit card or in terms of pay amount i won't say it has revolutionized or anything but even small shopkeepers i find are now using some of these uh, uh, technology which again over a period of time will be a very useful See, demonetization per se is a very good policy but as in india i think you know that we have a course in uh, accountancy called commercial banking and practices nowhere in the world you will have a course like this there is another course called banking law and practices all over the world there is only a course called banking law so we have banking law and practices that mean we recognize <laughs> that laws are different than practices so the demonetization as a principle as a policy is very very good unfortunately we did not uh, succeed in implementing it correctly for instance large number of these atms were to be you know recalibrated and we have hundreds of issues on that that is the what you may loosely call the last mile problem actually that is the first mile in india it's not a last mile that is that so we have good policies but uh, at the ground level there are massive amount of issues in spite of all that there are couple of collateral benefits i mentioned to you which has taken place so but don't you think that going forward the 2000 rupee note there will be black money in that 2000 rupee note now because uh, definitely uh, so 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 it if is, i want is, to see if i if i want to sell you a property and understate the value and so that i pay less tax i i want to collect the money in cash i i'll collect it in the new note there is nothing yeah. magical or superior about the new note compared to the old note do you agree with that correct you are right actually it's a demonetization is not a permanent solution yeah actually what there are some suggestions given which government has not at thought about perhaps we must introduce a law where holding cash beyond a point is a crime 
holding cash, not transaction. If you hold 10 lakh, that is enough actually. Max, you know, an household may not definitely require more than 10 lakh. Assuming even if they require 10 lakh, Indian rupee I'm talking about. So if you hold anything more than that, that should be made a crime. This regulation was there in many Western countries post Second World War. <coughs> Today in uh, US also, who is holding maximum cash? Mostly the drug peddlers and other people. Most right. of the other people have started using the credit card and other you know, type of. So we must introduce a law where holding cash should be made into a crime. Then uh, you will see the significant impact on a continuous basis about this issue of black domestic black money. That won't solve the international black money. Yeah, domestic yeah. black money, I am telling. So what is your view on the GST, the whole GST controversy? What do you feel of that? As I told you, the course is banking law and practice. <laughs> so <laughs> I am waiting for July 1 because, you know, on paper it's a good thing. Except, of course, India is the only country which is introducing a GST with uh, four different rates. All over the world there is only one rate which they put it. 7% or 5% or whatever it is. We have four different rates and we have 29 states. The fundamental problem, let me be very blunt, is how the bribe money will be shared between the state level sales tax collectors and the babus and the officials and the central level excise duty collectors. Huge amount of money is getting collected by these people for their pocket, not for government of India or state government. Now, what happened is under the GST, some powers of the state level people may be reduced. And that is not going to be an easy task to deal with. So again, let me say, passing these type of laws, we go on debating. We have a, you know that, we have an Anti-Dowry Act, right? And uh, you know that we have several states have got restriction that, you know, beyond some uh, number of people can't eat at, uh, you know, weddings. So many type of laws and regulations are there. Most important for GST, according to me, is we must see how it is operationalized, how it is done at the final, you know, my vegetable vendor, how it is going to be impacted, my agarbatti seller, how it is going to be impacted, my local provision, you know, this is what the uh, important thing in our context is. Having passing laws at Delhi is of you know, according to me, not much of a uh, use. Let's wait and see. So what you're saying is that the... Very serious what, doubts about implementing this. Yeah, so what you're saying is that the, uh, the whether GST will work or not is not a question of the theory and the laws, but the practices. And the, way the, pract and the way the practices will be is unknown because there are too many moving parts, so many people with vested interests, some will win, some will Correct. lose and how, how will there be a new Correct. equilibrium of the, of the practices? The practices will reach a state of their own equilibrium after some experimentation and some negotiation. Correct. Right. Yeah. And that, is, uh, that equilibrium is better than today's uh, yeah. disequilibrium. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, but, but, but the law changing from one law to two, number two uh, is not the effect. A to B is not the point is the is the practices how they change from x to some unknown y we don't know See, so that's your point i will tell rajiv you have been in us you have seen europe when a law of this nature is passed the entire 
number of people in Congress will be full practically in the house, inside the house, or in the Senate. In India, you will hardly find five to six fellows sitting there, the so-called <laughs> quote unquote lawmakers. Yeah. All are empty benches because they know that let them pass any type of law, we will tackle it at the uh, floor level or rather at the ground level. This is the approach of all these, uh, you know. So I think the we take a lot of time and effort in debating about a policy or about a law. Not a bad thing, but uh, in US and Europe, let's be very clear, once a law is passed after so much debate, everybody feels that they have to obey that law. They may not like it. They may put placard and they may still want it to change. But as long as the law is in the book, they would like to follow it. Our yeah, approach is, is not like that. That is because uh, India does not have robust institutional mechanisms to implement Correct. laws. That is the, uh, it, a lot of it depends on emotions and how you yeah. feel and informal and whatnot and all that. Okay. So now not I have… Only a, that, tribe yeah. plays a very large role in all this. Ability to overcome laws is based on bribes. This I always maintain. Womb to tomb bribe, we pay. So we can, you know, we can, we can buy. How does it yeah. matter, right? Yeah. That yeah. approach. Yeah. You know, recently I came across a gentleman called uh, uh, his his name is uh, Anil Bokil, uh, uh, Anil Bokil from Pune, who in 2000 wrote a book saying that uh, not only should there be demonetization, but the, the, all of uh, paper currency should be removed and all the income tax, all taxes can be replaced by 2% bank transfer tax. Uh, he was uh, being interviewed on National Public Radio NPR in the US and so I got hold of him and I am going to have an interview with him also. Uh, yeah. uh, and I have looked at some of his books and so on. Now, he presented his argument to uh, then Chief Minister Narendra Modi, in I think 2013, he presented his argument and Modi told him according to him that uh, if I ever have a position, if I ever have the power to implement it, I am going to implement it. So, he had right. a lot to do as a, as a originator, as a, as a person who created this kind of a concept of demonetization as far as India is concerned. Now, uh, he, he wanted not just demonetization, but more than that, he wanted removal of all income tax, GST, everything, all of that gone and replaced with 2% bank transfer tax. 2% bank, every time you transfer money in the bank to somebody. So, if I give you 100 rupees, you will actually end up getting 98. 2 rupees gone to the government. Yeah, yeah. Now, now uh, uh, Baba Ramdev during the campaign made this into one of the campaign issues. He, want, he promoted this uh, because this same gentleman also went and talked to Baba Ramdev. But somehow, okay. yeah, somehow that whole idea went away. Uh, nobody knows why. I'm going to ask him what he, why he went, went. But what is your thought about this uh, two percent transfer tax as a way to substitute all the other taxes? See, one is uh, I think if I am right, you are talking about that uh, group called Arthakranti, or you know. Yes, I think he's the he's the head of that yeah. group. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you see, this uh, whole uh, thing has got uh, several dimensions. National Institute of Public Finance and Policy, which has been, uh, which has done exhaustive study on various tax from 1970s on the black money in India, 
which is a Delhi based uh, institution. They were asked to look into this entire uh, issue and uh, they have uh, sent me also some of the their finding and they have done a very uh, reasonably a good job about uh, one dimension is it is not very easy to you know it's one thing to say abolish income tax but uh, income tax is let us be very clear is uh, equity based larger income people supposedly you know, to some extent pay larger taxes compared to and all so called indirect taxes are regressive because it affects all of us in the same fashion whether ambani buys a soap or i buy a soap both of us pay the same level of tax that is one issue second is if i recall correctly this institute found that 2% may not be adequate it has to be 6 to 8% in order to have the current levels of uh, what one can call uh, revenue generation of the government and if it is going to be 6 to 8% you know it's not going to be very easy task third is what we can attempt is we can reduce the income tax currently it is of the order of 30 33% maybe attempt it at 25% or something and try this out for half a percent or something this uh, transaction based uh, taxes because all transaction do not take place through the banking system lot of transaction is between you and me directly in the in indian context at least no no but his idea was his idea was that there will be no cash left there will be no currency note it will be only 100% digital economy only current the only currency left will be up to 10 rupee note some small amount of money yeah. but no, anything but, serious will have yeah. to be done through paytm or something like that see we have you know we have still a long way to go let's be very clear we have something like 73000 bank branches in the country all banks put together and we have another 80 85000 atms and a quarter of them doesn't work most of the time so it's 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 good to talk in terms of completely you know having a uh, what one can call zero uh, cash type of situation or lesser cash it's not going to uh, happen at all that is uh, most important and uh, you know bank transaction tax will affect all people equally that is the issue it is not going to make uh, richer you know give relative see when you say income tax basically what you have slabs people who Correct. are relatively less earning is supposed to pay lesser or sometime never if i am having in india today some 2 lakh income or something i don't have to pay any income tax at all but isn't it true that only a, only a very but isn't it true that a very very small percent of government revenue comes from personal income tax yeah so not, so uh, not now no no not anymore now actually you know really something like uh, you know 5 million you know 50 million people are covered in india actually and another 9 million is added recently because of the demonetization impact it's not a very because see, we have something like 250 million families approximately i'm talking about 250 260 million family of that agriculture income is excluded out of income tax by law if you are earning agriculture income you don't have to pay any tax one of the leading political leaders daughter claimed she earned 100 crore indian rupee out of 10 acres of land and got exempted from paying any tax 
on that 100 crore. 100 crore is some 1 billion Indian rupee. Anyhow, so agriculture is excluded. In which case, out of 250 million, roughly 40% are agricultural families. Right? So 100 million will go. 150 million families are remaining. And most of the families are having what one can call homemakers in India. Except in urban India. All other India, it is only single person earning. The wife is typically a housewife. Out of 150, now something like 50 million is, uh, that is 30% is actually income tax uh, covered today. So the logic was a couple of decades before, only 3% is covered or 2%, which is not true. Huge amount is covered today under the income tax thing. And uh, of course, agriculture, should it be taxed or not, is a separate you know debate by itself. So again, you know, income tax itself is not a small portion of the government uh, revenue. No, but today uh, not, it is the, not, yeah. not, not, the, not the number of people who are paying income tax, but in terms of no, rupees. The amount also yeah, is how much not is, any small thing. It is actually the direct and indirect taxes, if you are comparing, it's uh, hovering around 45, 55 in that range only. Still, indirect tax is very large, obviously, in India, like tobacco or petroleum and other things are all huge amount of indirect taxes. But uh, direct taxes are also now compensating or climbing up, actually. Yeah. So, but one important point we should not forget is direct taxes are based on equity principle. All indirect taxes are regressive yeah. because it affects all group of people in the same fashion. What we can do, this is what my suggestion was to government at that point of time, is reduce income tax and uh, introduce this transaction tax at a very small level and see the impact and do surgical attack on Pakistan, but not uh, internally in economics, right? Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to also ask you, uh, uh, in, in India, the latest trend is uh, American think tanks working in India. Uh, American think tanks offering uh, advice on health and economics and business and whatever, all kind of things. And of course, starting out as very patriotic topics, you know, how to improve the water supply or how to uh, solve this disease or whatever. But this is a way to get uh, their intellectuals placed and uh, located in good, powerful positions. Uh, some of them have uh, brought in uh, sons and daughters of powerful Indian politicians, uh, people in the Indian government, military and na national security, their children brought into important positions. Some of them brought to the United States and given uh, Eisenhower Fellowship and, you know, very, very prestigious ways to build up their brand and also brainwash them in the process. So, these, this young crop of very elitist, highly educated Ivy League type Indians is in the, in the country in very important role. Do you see, do you think that's an issue? Because this is, this has happened before, you know, in the 1800s, the British trained Babus to do this. The Bhadralok in, uh, you know, in Bengal, we had that problem. So, is this the beginning of a whole new recolonization in a different, more sophisticated style? Yeah. You are, how to say, like Musharraf would say, you are 400% right, right? It's not, <laughs> see, <laughs> because he, he, he was weak in mathematics. That's the only reason. There is no other reason. So, 
uh, you see our umbilical cords are tied to the west we say look east but our neck is turned towards west that's very so you know what you may loosely call genetically we are wired to the west i light heartedly say a white plumber from new york plumber from new york will be listened to more carefully in delhi on indian economy yeah. than a professor from iim i know that that is that is how the case i right. i face so, i face is a lot talking about all the civilization and culture and traditions and all that all they have to do is put up some white guy uh, and then everybody will walk out of my room and go to his class and then even if the guy <laughs> even if the guy learnt it from me even if once upon a time he worked as my intern even if i actually nurtured him brought him up he'll actually be considered a bigger more powerful guy than yeah. me because we have right. an inferiority complex a very serious inferiority I think, complex uh, i think you only if i recall you only mentioned once uh, interestingly that uh, the top uh, you know ceos of indian some of the it and other companies would give uh, you know time and uh, interview uh, thing for white people yes 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 much yes. faster yes yes and yes, preferably yes. white women the yeah, more yeah, yeah. faster within that a day or within few very hours. quick very quickly Compared so to, so what do you think so is the we are, we are tied to the west so what it's do you what, but but why do you think why do you think that uh, Uh, even the new government, while saying they are very patriotic to our Dharma civilization, uh, is unable to get out of this this kind of a mode of this inferiority complex and this looking up to the West and you know really in awe of them. Uh, why is that so? Why do you think this is a this is a disease so deep in our culture we can't get rid of it? And the and the yeah. the danger of the think tanks infiltrating like Trojan horses is not appreciated. you are absolutely right actually you see it will take according to me it will take couple of generations to go it's not very easy you have to use the you know dry cleaner you know so many time in order to get it back in time because genetically i think uh, we are wired in the sense uh, a white man because you see the all the the rationality comes from white man the scientific thinking comes from the white man the way in which we have to live comes from him you see you look at all the research in our universities it is typically taking the models of the west and testing it under indian conditions that's all we never try to model uh, indian situation we use those models and then use h not h1 hypothesis statistically we try to disprove or prove and then you say you know Uh, what is working there doesn't work here or what is working there also works here that's all we are you know very unfortunate but we are totally i think what has happened is particularly the americans are very clever from the 50s and 60s we are not realizing they have outsourced reproduction to india yeah 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 yeah, yeah. as one professor told me nicely you you create a brilliant uh, you know culturally obedient and nice youngsters to go through iits and other thing we will take them that is a much easier than uh, producing in uh, us and you know struggling hard to bring them up and all these things within india also you know if you say that you got a ford grant or you know you got a, a grant from uh, the heritage foundation or that's you know if i say somebody says i got a grant from infinity you know they are not very 
it's okay you know but <laughs> did you get it? <laughs> no i am not being uh, yeah, yeah i know um, i know that's see, how it is our, that's how it is our whole uh, approach towards things is uh, significantly but uh, hopefully it will change i am very very confident about it do you feel that uh, the management team in government ex- after other than modi himself who is very brilliant and competent other than that do you feel that there is a good management team or are they sort of uh, mediocre people i mean not not being corrupt is not, not according to me that's not a, cor- a qualification there are yeah. no scandals yeah. and they are not corrupt okay i like that i i and i believe that that is generally the case but in terms of efficiency competence being uh, really smart being able to uh, think big and act locally and you know ca- follow no. through all of that it's not i don't i don't see is, that much i don't see that outsourced to international agencies that is the issue yeah much of whatever you want to think big immediately you bring in you know uh, either kpmg or anastanang and all those world bank and imf and they come and think big so that is the issue actually a lot of domestic talent is neither nurtured nor encouraged that is what is very very important and critical yeah that, that is, is what that is, you know, that, is case. Yeah, that is how you build institutions Uh, instead of having instead of just a few random individuals who are brilliant you need to build institutions and very we, important yeah we so don't have the institution yeah. our society cannot be sustained actually yeah so we don't long run. we don't have a good top class indian think tanks for example world class indian think tanks either very the think either the thinking is being imported by these ngos they're bringing foreign thinking or yeah. the the foreign think tanks are coming to india and setting up their shop or yeah. we are sending our young people overseas to study those things in their model and bring it back yeah. we do we have not done a good job of creating our own insti- intellectual apparatus and intellectual institutions and the modi government i don't know what they i mean i don't see any initiatives either once in a while they have some yeah. sammelan here and there but sammelan is not what we are talking about to no. to create knowledge that as an yeah sustained effort like yours is most critical yes i would say definitely yes. because at least thousands more than that i am sure uh, lakhs of uh, youngsters are being molded by you molded in the sense of being uh, uh, awakened by you in terms of your efforts no like this so many efforts are required and government should be more facilitative for these processes yes government should help us important. government need not do anything other than that just yeah. facilitate this process yes it will grow by itself it can yeah. be nurtured yeah and you know it's not even a question of very big money we need from them we we need them to oh. actually we need them to actually decide strategically that okay these guys are good they are not part of the party or part of the government officially but they are helping us they are doing our job they should think that we are actually doing their job yeah yeah, yeah. 100% you are right actually it's not the funds it's a question yeah. of uh, creating the atmosphere yeah creating a you know system right which uh, you know which respect uh, these type of uh, people right. and uh, these type of ways in which institutions can be built yes yes actually yeah well i want to i want to thank you professor vaidyanathan uh, for a wonderful conversation and i want people to know that professor vaidyanathan is on our advisory board of infinity foundation india making a great contribution uh, today we've had this in public but we're having many private dialogues also Uh, and uh, he and i we are co-authoring a book also with one or two other people uh, hopefully we'll get it out soon 
so, and I want to thank uh, you every time I have this conversation, my, uh, my followers love it and uh, uh, I think they love this one also. And I am going to be in India probably in the next uh, two months and then we will meet again. Oh, very yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Rajiv, thank you very much. And uh, again, you know, of course, I am a uh, devotee of Lord Ganesha. I really pray to Ganesha to give you more strength and uh, give you more, uh, you know, fruitful and productive uh, year in order to uh, carry out your endeavors and uh, build a new society and a new India. Thank you very much, Rajiv. And, and thank you very much, Professor. I wish you good health and success in your retirement and we'll continue working together as uh, fellow travelers. Namaste. Sure. <laughs> Namaste. Right. To help me, you can do two things. You can go to the subscribe button on my YouTube and subscribe. We need more subscribers there. Uh, secondly, I get lots of emails on people saying, how do we donate? How can we help you? Uh, you go to rajivmalhotra.com or you go to infinityfoundation.com and you can hit the donate button. You can donate in dollars. There are different ways mentioned. If you want to donate in rupees, there is a column called uh, Infinity Foundation India and you click that and there are instructions on how you can donate in India.